His grace is sufficient for you. I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know what you came in here with, what burdens you're carrying, what decisions you're facing. When you think about hearing God, I don't know what that brings up for you, but I want you to hold on to this phrase. No matter what the answer is to any of those questions, His grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I asked my children the other day, do either of you ever get the sense that God is speaking to you, that you can hear his voice? And Blaze, my son, immediately responded and said, oh yes, dad, oh yes, I hear him absolutely. I'm not making this up. Blaze is six years old. And I said, well, what does he say to you? And he said, he says, don't worry, Blaze, you're not going to die anytime soon. Uh, and it's funny, but he was actually serious. He went on to tell me, that when he's afraid at night, alone, he'll say to God, what if something happens to me? And then the response he gets in his heart is, don't worry, Blaze, you're not going to die anytime soon. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? Micah was quiet, my daughter, and so I looked at her and said, how about you, Micah? And she said, no, I don't really hear him. I believe in him, but I don't really hear him. And I think many Christians may be in the same boat as Micah. Maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you've never heard God's voice. Maybe you're not sure even what that means. Or maybe you're afraid you wouldn't like what he would have to say if he did speak. Kind of reminds me of this old story you may have heard. There were two brothers, Ned and Ted. Ted was this tall, handsome, athletic guy. But Ned was short, plain, clumsy. Ted married his high school sweetheart and got work as a financial advisor. They had a big house and three kids and always seemed to have a smile on their face. Ned married his high school sweetheart, too, but they fought constantly. They tried to have children, but they couldn't, so his wife left him, and he lived alone. He took up orcharding, and his business never really got off the ground. He struggled financially for years. And one day, as an old man, Ned was out driving his tractor, and he ran over a rather large rock, and the tractor rolled over onto him, pinning him to the ground. He couldn't move. And just then, it started to rain, and thunder, and lightning. And as he lay there in And a voice came from heaven that said, I don't know, Ned. Something about you just ticks me off. <laughs> Maybe you're afraid of what God would say to you. Now, I don't believe that he would say that to you at all. I can assure you today, he would not say that to Ned, and he's not saying that to you. God loves you. He cannot love you more. He cannot love you more. And he will not love you less. And his grace is sufficient for you. So what would he say to us? Dallas Willard wrote a deeply rich book on this topic. It's called Hearing God. I recommend it to all of you. And I'm going to draw heavily from it today in this talk. In the opening lines of the preface, he writes, Hearing God? A daring idea. Some would say presumptuous and even dangerous. But what if we are made for it? What if the human system simply will not function properly without it? There are good reasons to think that it will not. The fine texture, as well as the grand movements of life, show our need to hear God. Isn't it more presumptuous and dangerous, in fact, to undertake human existence 
without hearing God? So here's what I want to submit to us today for consideration. You were made for this. You were made for this. You were created not for a life of isolated loneliness, but for a life of continual interactive communication with and dependence on God. Continual interactive communication with and dependence on God. And to enter into this kind of life, we have to understand a few things. A few things about God and a few things about ourselves. So that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. The first thing we need to understand about God is this. God does speak. God does, in fact, speak. Last week, Stephanie delivered a wonderful message. You should go back and listen to it if you missed it, reminding us that the Bible is primarily the story of God. Sometimes we can get that mixed up. We can think that the main character is Adam or Eve or Abraham or Isaac, but the main character of the Bible is actually God. And we should approach reading it not with the question, what can God do for me, but with the question, who is God? And what we learn straight away in the Bible, right out of the gate, is that God speaks. He also listens, by the way. Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Psalm 94 says. But he speaks, and he loves to communicate with his world. Not only does he speak, but speaking is the primary way through which he chooses to accomplish his will in this world. Speaking is the primary preferred way. Words are God's preferred way of communicating. We see this all throughout Scripture. He creates the universe by his words. Let there be. He speaks, and he does not stop speaking. He speaks to Adam, to Eve, to Cain, to Noah, to Abraham, to Sarah, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, face to face to Moses. The list goes on and on. To the judges he speaks, to the kings, to the prophets. He even speaks through a donkey, for crying out loud. God speaks the word, all caps, the logos, Jesus, his son, into this world. John 1.1 tells us, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. God's word becoming literal flesh in Jesus. And then Jesus speaks to announce the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks to heal. Remember the centurion's servant. Say the word, Lord, and it shall be done. Jesus even does his own bit of orcharding by his words. Remember the unproducing fig tree at one point in the book of Mark. He removes it, not with an axe, but by his words. He speaks to it. Words are spiritual in nature. Words carry authority. You may have heard this old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Of course, we all know that that's not true. Words carry power. Words are God's preferred way of communicating with people because words require no interpretation. Dreams and visions may get our attention, but they always require interpretation. Of course, God speaks through those things. God speaks through anything he wants because he's God. Where does a 700-pound gorilla sleep, right? Anywhere he wants to. God can absolutely do anything that he wants to do, but his preferred way of communicating 
is through words. Now, when we're learning to hear God's voice, the written word of God, the Bible, is absolutely central. It is indispensable to hearing him. The Bible will teach you how to recognize his voice and learn what kind of person that he is. Trying to hear God without the Bible will cause all kinds of problems, and that will lead to all sorts of trouble. It's kind of like Tevia in the musical Fiddler on the Roof. Anyone seen that musical or movie? You're too old to know what it is, I'll tell you. Tevia is a Jewish milkman, sorry, Tevia is a Jewish milkman who spends the entire musical talking to God. At one point, Tevia is speaking to the rabbi's son, and this is what he says. As the good book says, you like my, I'm going to do my best here. As the good book says, when a poor man eats a chicken, one of them is sick. And the rabbi's son responds, where does the good book say that? And Tevia says, all right, all right. It doesn't exactly say that, but someplace it has something about a chicken. I thought that was funny. If we don't understand God according to Scripture, <laughs> we're going to miss a whole lot about who he is. So the first thing to know is God does speak, and his grace is sufficient for you. The second thing to know about God is that he is a personal person. God is a personal person. A.W. Tozer writes this in his book, The Pursuit of God, another highly recommended book. God is a person, and in the deep of his mighty nature, he thinks, he wills, he enjoys, he feels, loves, desires, and suffers as any other person may. I was once praying with a group of people, and there was a teenager in the group uh, and they prayed something like this. Hi, God, it's me. I know you're really busy, and you have lots going on in this crazy world, but if you wouldn't mind helping me out with this one little thing, I'd sure be grateful. I know you're busy. Thank you. Now, I believe that prayer was precious to God. God overlooks much of our ignorance and is fully capable of meeting us wherever we are because his grace is sufficient. However, it is a misconception to believe that God is too big or too busy to be personally present to you. In fact, it is precisely because he is so big that he can be fully present and attentive to every molecule of created matter within the entire cosmos all at once. It's precisely because he's so big that he can be with you every moment of your life, and he is. We were camping last summer as a family, and I was sitting on a bench outside of the camp showers, waiting for my daughter to finish up, and I looked down, and I saw this little beetle struggling across the pavement, trying to reach the grass. It looked like one of its legs was damaged, and a thought came to me, and the thought said this, I know everything there is to know about that beetle. I've been present for its entire life. And then I said, then I guess you know how it dies, as I raised my boot. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> no, I actually didn't say that. Actually, I was sort of in a low place emotionally myself, and I actually felt like that beetle. I don't know if you've ever felt like a dying beetle. And as I watched the beetle struggling, I 
was brought to mind Isaiah 42, which says, A bruised reed I will not break, a dying ember I will not snuff out. And so I was sincerely moved to compassion, and I reached down and I picked up the beetle, and I set him in the grass, and I blessed him. That's actually what I did. I didn't kill him. God is a person, and he is personal. And he is not you, by the way. He is different from you, and he's different from me. He does not see the world the way that you see it. He sees it as it actually is. He sees the world as it actually is. The pastor at our church in Minnesota, we go to a church called Woodridge, and he'll often say this, When he wakes up every morning, he wakes up with two things, bad breath and a bad attitude. So the first thing he does is brush his teeth, and the second thing he does is gets down on his knees and says, Good morning, Heavenly Father. You are God, and I am not. Today, you are God, and I am not. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and guide me into your purpose today. Not a bad idea. I recommend it. So, God does speak. God is a personal person, and his grace is sufficient for you. And the third thing to know is that God is looking for partners, not slaves. God is looking for partners. He wants you to be his co-laborer. He wants you to be his friend, his partner, not his robot, not his slave. You are a ceaseless spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. You have a purpose, and God is looking to partner with you, to co-labor with you. Dallas Willard writes this in Hearing God. God speaking to us is intended to develop an intelligent freely cooperative relationship between mature people who love each other with the richness of genuine agape love. Let's just just read that again and remember that this is and has been God's design and desire for humanity since creation. God's speaking to us is intended to develop into an intelligent freely cooperative relationship between mature people who love each other with the richness of genuine agape love. Got to go back to my kids. My kids love to play this game right right now where one of them will pretend to be a robot and the other gives commands. Sit down. Pick up that ball. Now throw it in the air. Now throw it at your dad. Now hit yourself in the face with it. Good, good, yes. Now bring me a glass of water. God does not work like that. God does not want robots. You are his child. You are his child. And as you mature in him, he wants you to increasingly become his friend. Nobody wants a child. Nobody wants a child who only speaks to them when they don't know what to do. Or a friend who only speaks to them when they want something. It's a common misconception that God wants to tell you what to do every second of every day. What clothes should I wear today, God? What food should I eat? What parking space should I take? Now, for much of what we do, for much of what we do, God probably does not have a preference. 
Rather, his preference is to let you decide. That's true. You have a will, and God delights in that. It would be odd if I, as a mature 40-year-old adult, had to ask my mom, hi, mom, before deciding where I wanted to eat lunch every day. That would be odd. That would not be a mature relationship. When Brittany and I had decided to leave Kashmir and move to Seattle back in 2008, I had no job prospects. I was conversing with God in the shower one morning, and I said something like this, Father, what do you want me to do when we move to Seattle? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to work at Costco? Do you want me to get a job at a church? What do you want me to do? And this thought came to me, what do you want to do? And I said out loud, I'll get back to you. (laughs) Let me think about it. I'll get back to you on that. Several weeks later, I was waiting for a friend in the lobby at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. And I was standing there, and I just had this sense that this would be a good place to work. So I whispered to God, and I said, Lord, you know what? I think I'd like to work here. And within a week, I actually had a job offer at the church and it launched me into a world of vocational meaning and ministry that I'm still benefiting from today. Now, that's not always how it happens, but God is a person. He's personal, and what you want matters to him as his child. What you want matters to him. It's not a blueprint. It's not a formula. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Like children playing at a playground, there are any number of activities they could choose to do while still remaining within the will of the parent. And it's often the same with us and God. A sign of our maturing is that we require less and less to be constantly told what to do. God speaks to us not just to tell us what to do. He speaks to us primarily for fellowship and to open our understanding to reality so that we can know what to do and become the kind of people who actually want to do it. That is what a friend does. An example of this is David and Goliath. You'll all be familiar with that story. David comes. He sees Goliath, a giant cursing God and his people. David knew what to do, and he wanted to do it, and he understood the power available to him in order to do it, and so he slayed that giant, When all others would have needed a command, he didn't need a command. He did it. He only needed to encounter the situation and then bring the kingdom of God to it. And he knew what to do, and he did it. The kind of life, this kind of life, is the result of what we're talking about today, cultivating a conversational relationship with God, being God's friend. So God does speak. God is personal. And God is looking for partners, not slaves. And his grace is sufficient for you and your situation and your limitation and your burden and your struggle. And now with the rest of our time, I'm going to turn to a few things that we need to know about ourselves as you think about cultivating a conversational relationship with God. The first one is this. You live in two worlds. Did you know that? You live in two worlds. And I'm not talking about the Marvel multiverse here. These two worlds are called the flesh and the spirit. Now, the flesh is the power and resources available to you in the physical world, including your body. 
The flesh is the power and resources available to you in this physical world, including your body. And the spirit is the unseen realm, your will, your thoughts, which may be tiredly trying to follow along right now, or may be distracted by the thought of a delicious Rusty's cheeseburger and milkshake. Yum. Later, later. Your will, your thoughts, your emotions, they are a constant flow stream of your being, and that is your spirit. It is your unseen existence. You live at the intersection of these two landscapes all the time. That is what it means to be human. Now, the flesh is not bad when it is submitted to the Holy Spirit. The flesh is not evil when it is submitted to the Holy Spirit. But when your flesh, remember, that is the power, resources available to you in the physical world, including your body. When the flesh is not submitted to the Spirit of God, it will lead you to death. Romans 8, 6 through 9. The mind, that's the spirit, the unseen stream of thoughts, feelings, emotions, will. The mind governed by the flesh, the resources available to you in the physical world, is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it even do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Side note here. That's why the more we see separation of church and state, the more trouble we're going to be in as a nation. Because when we say, we'd like to go about our business and our work apart from the influence of God, we know and can see even now where that path will lead us. Adam and Eve let their spirit in the garden become governed by the flesh, the resources available to them in the physical world. Through what? Through their thoughts, will, emotions, their spirit. They submitted their spirit to the desires of the flesh, not the other way. See, we let our flesh take over because we stop trusting God. We stop trusting his voice because we're overwhelmed, we're enamored, we're bedazzled by what we see, by the flesh. Like Peter walking on the water, our eyes fix on the waves, and we stop trusting that God, who is spirit, will come through for us, so we take matters into our own hands. Like the little girl in Sunday school who, when asked, what is a lie, responded, an abomination before God and an ever-present help in time of trouble. When governed by the flesh, our minds think this thought. Evil is necessary in order to achieve good. We get tricked. We begin to think, I know it's wrong, but it's necessary for me to experience a good life. It's necessary for me to not drown in the ocean right now. But that's not the spirit. That's not God's spirit. You live in two worlds, the spirit and the flesh, and his grace is sufficient for you. The next thing to know about yourself is this. This is fun. You have three lives. Did you know that? 
And no, I'm not talking about video game do-overs here. At our house, we have uh, one gaming system, and it is an original Super Nintendo. That's right. That's right. And uh, I play that with my kids. We love Donkey Kong Country 1, 2, and 3. Those are our favorites. Whenever we get down to three lives left, we have to go back to the first level to stock up on lives, right? Because three lives isn't going to cut it the way we play. Now, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about your public life, your private life, and your secret life. The public life is the life on display for everyone to see. That's what I'm doing up here. Mainly consisting of your work or your presence in your community. It's what everyone sees and knows about you, what's presented on social media, for example. The private life is that life which is reserved for your closest friends and family, those who live life with you every day and see a bit more of who you really are. But the secret life, that's the life that is cultivated outside of the view of anyone except God. This from Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You have three lives, and here's the important part. Here's the important part. The conversational relationship with God is cultivated in the secret life. In your secret life. This is why Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here's a question for you today. How's your secret life going? How you doing? It wouldn't surprise me if it's not doing that well in our day and age. Your smartphone is designed to cultivate a secret life for you, actually. You see, today, the secret life is known only by you and by God, but an increasing attempt by your smartphone and the supercomputers behind it to control and understand your secret life. Gaming for your constant attention. There's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence right now. It's a real cause for concern. The current danger with AI, though, if you listen to experts on it, is not that it can just learn what you want and then give it to you, more readily and more efficiently, but rather that it is smart enough now to brainwash you and manipulate your thinking, feeding you and leading you subtly to change what you want and how you see the world, gaming for your attention and resources. That's the danger. It's now smart enough to train your mind to think a different way. And this is dangerous for us because the forces behind that effort do not understand this principle, that a life not governed by the Spirit leads to death. So we've got to be careful, and we have to pray and take action even where necessary in order to guard our hearts and guard our minds with all diligence, for out of it flows all the issues of your life. So you live in two worlds, you have three lives, and his grace is sufficient for you. And the final thing to know, and I'll close with this, is that you must seek God 
in order to cultivate a conversational relationship with him. You've got to seek him. If you want to hear God's voice, if you want to hear God's voice, I can tell you, guaranteed right now, that you can, but you have to want it. You have to want it. This is the heart of it right here. Listen to these words from Dallas Willard. God's voice comes to us in the form of special thoughts that are given in the process of being led and taught by Jesus. God's voice comes to us in the form of special thoughts that are given in the process of being led and taught by Jesus. You see, hearing God's voice will only be important to you if you are seeking a certain kind of life, a life that is led and taught by Jesus, if you're seeking to live a life governed by the Spirit. Now, if you're happy with a life governed by the flesh, especially in the secret life, then seeking God will not be that interesting to you. It won't be that interesting to you. And guess what? God will let you have your own way because that's the kind of person that he is. Because that's what love does. Love gives the truth, but love allows for choice. So if you want him, if you want to hear his voice, you must choose him and seek him especially in the secret life and in the spirit. And you can't just half-heartedly seek him. You must seek him with all the... A school pastor and, uh, and then a dear friend, actually, throughout life with whom I've shared many, many Rusty's milkshakes and who watched me play hours of Donkey Kong when I was a middle school kid. He would always tell me these four words every time I came to him for counsel throughout my life, and I came many, many times. These four words, just... Keep seeking God. Through the trials, through the struggles, just keep seeking God. So really quick, what does that mean exactly? This is what it means. It means giving him your full attention in your spirit. Remember, you live in the flesh and the spirit, that unseen part of you. You must give him your full attention. You must set your mind on him. By the way, he stands ready to give you his full attention also. And silence can help with this, cultivating a habit of silence and solitude in order to give him your full attention. There's this song by Jason Upton that I love. In the silence you are speaking In the silence I can feel the fire and it's burning, burning deeply, burning all it is that you desire to be silent. Giving him your attention means giving him space to speak and submitting your flesh to his spirit. It means learning to obey him and in so doing, becoming his friend. Jesus said, I call you friends if you obey my commands. Again, this is not because God wants robots or slaves, but because a heart of love, a yielded heart, as Steve spoke about, is a heart that obeys. It's a heart that wants to do what God sees as best. Here's a little secret 
tidbit for you. Obedience in the secret life is the highest form of spiritual warfare. Obedience in your secret life is the highest form of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not singing a bunch of loud songs, folks. It is hearing God's voice in your spirit and submitting your flesh to do what you perceive now being taught by Jesus to be what is good. So we must arrange our lives in such a way that we can give our attention to God. And if we do this, if you do this, friends, you will hear his voice and you will begin to recognize it. For his sheep recognize his voice. So what do you do now? Well, I can't tell you. My time is up. But he can tell you. He can tell you. So we're going to go to him now in prayer. And then we're going to sing one more song. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Heavenly, gracious Father, I ask you to open our ears today that we may hear your voice. I ask you to open our eyes that we could see the way you see and open our mind and our spirit to know your mind and your heart. Encourage my friends, Lord, for your grace is sufficient for them. I ask you to speak to each person individually today about their secret life. Show them the next right thing to do, Holy Spirit. And I pray that they would have the courage and strength to do it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.